How about this one? A youth pastor didn't feel comfortable with the way his church was developing. He felt that the church should be, uh, would be more effective if they had a more contemporary format. Dump the hymns, go with more choruses, use drama in the preaching, and open up more spiritual gifts in the service. He prayed about this and felt God told him to start another church in the same town. He persuaded his current adult youth leaders to join him as the leaders in the new church. When he announced the idea to his pastor and the elders, they were totally against the idea, feeling it would bring division to the church. The youth pastor ignored their feelings because he felt he must obey God rather than man. He started the new church by drawing many people from the old church. There were many hurt feelings. The senior pastor had a heart attack soon after. The old church went into decline. The new church thrived, and the youth pastor felt justified that he had heard God because of the success of the new church. How about this one? A young man was praying about buying a newer car. One night, uh, he has a, a very vivid dream that he felt must be from the Lord. In the dream, he knew the car to buy because it had a red 7 on it. When he went out to the used car lot, he saw a red car that he really liked. While examining the car, he opened the ashtray and found 7 cents. The car dealer told him the car would cost $7,000. He was only prepared to pay $3,000, but felt the Lord told him this must be the car. Now he has stopped giving at his church because his car payment is so high. Here's another one. A young woman came up to a young man in the church and said, I've been praying and I feel like the Lord told me that you and I will someday be married. I thought it would be good, I thought it would be good if we started to get to know each other. The young man was confused because he felt neither a sense of attraction or direction from the Lord that this woman was to be his wife. What should he do? She said God told her, and he didn't want to go against God. So we need to ask the question, is it wrong for us to judge when someone tells us the Lord told me? In your notes, turn, there's, a, there's a passage there, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22, which kind of shows us the balance that we need to strike. It says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of, of, of evil. So you, you, you have these, this balance that needs to be struck. When people have a bad experience with the prophetic, it's easy for them to despise prophecy. They want to reject the supernatural as a way of hearing from God. But he says, do not despise and examine everything. Those two things have to be in balance with each other. The old saying is, all that glitters is not gold. And the truth is that when we use biblical guidelines, you can, prophecy can be a powerful and effective and safe tool to help us hear from God. But we've, we've, got, to, um, we've got to use this, this understanding, this wisdom of do not despise the prophetic utterance, but examine everything 
carefully. So in your notes it says, what kind of prophecy do we have um, to be very careful to examine? Okay, so what kind of prophecy do we have to be careful to examine? Number one, public prophecy. When prophecy is given to the whole congregation or that kind of thing, it needs to be judged. You know, the Bible is very clear about this. Let two or more, you know, let one speak, let two or more judge, basically, the word that is being spoken. So when we have public prophecy. Another kind of prophecy we need to be careful about is high-risk prophecy. That is, when, when the thing that's being prophesied has a, has a big price tag attached to it, and there's a high risk. If I go this way, there's big, big issues involved. If I go that way, there's big issues involved. When we have a high-risk prophecy, we need to be careful to examine it. Third kinds of prophecy that is prophecy that seeks to direct others. I'm talking now about prophecies that might be about uh, job decisions, prophecies that might be about marriage, prophecies that might be about... Um, spending money and uh, how it should be spent and this kind of stuff. These are things that need to be judged. Um, number four, another kind of prophecy that needs to be judged is prophecy that appears to con contradict or add to Scripture. This is a very big deal because the, the, really the Bible, the Word of God, is the foundation on which all prophecy needs to be judged. So anytime we get a prophetic word that appears to contradict or add to Scripture, now you would say, well, how do you, what do you mean by add to Scripture uh, a, a prophecy? Well, this kind of thing can happen. And, uh, you know, I've been around the, uh, long enough to see it happen. Um, the way, way it goes. Uh, for example, I'll tell you a story of one situation. Very nice guy, pastor that I know. A woman in his church said that she, um, that an angel was speaking to her. And so, she, uh, you know, the guy was like, you know, wow, an angel speaking to her. And so he tried to test this thing. And, uh, and, and the woman would explain the Bible in a way that seemed very good to him. And, and, and he, she got this revelation from an angel that spoke to her. And then uh, the angel it would explain certain current events. Uh, so much so that um, they started meeting in a small group weekly, the pastor did, with this woman and her, his wife and several other people meeting in a small group weekly so that they could hear this woman interpret the news and interpret what was happening um, through this angelic voice that was, uh, what was, uh, that was speaking. Uh, the angel, over time became an authority as high as the Bible. So they were, they're looking at the question of what should we do? Well, we want to look in the Bible, and then we want to hear what the angel has to say. What does the angel have to say? So, so it became where the, the voice of the angel, thinking they're hearing this voice you know, from God, is at the same level as the Bible. You would say, how has this ever happened? But that's just the way it happens. And uh, little by little, and before you know it, people are looking at something else and putting it on the same level as the Bible and using that to guide their lives. Uh, number five, okay, so we're looking at what kind of prophecies do we have to be very careful to examine. And number five is this, prophecy that I'm afraid to share with my leaders. Uh, I've actually had situations where, uh, you know, we'd be in a meeting and uh, someone would go up to somebody and say, oh, I feel I have a word from the Lord for you. Uh, I, I'll share it with you, but you have to promise me you won't tell the pastor about this. 
Okay, so I'm going to share this with you, but this is between us. You know, you need to hide it in your heart like Mary. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell the pastor. Don't tell anybody about what's being said. And so when someone gives you a prophecy and, and for some reason, and it doesn't have to be, it might not even be something somebody's given you. It might be you yourself feeling, okay, I'm hearing something from the Lord, but this thing that I'm hearing, I must not tell any of the leaders about this. As soon as you, as soon as you start thinking those kinds of thoughts, you know right away there is a problem going on, and that thing really needs to be severely judged and uh, questioned uh, in that way. So in your notes... What questions do I need to ask to properly examine a prophetic word from God? Okay, number one, most important, number one, is it scriptural? All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Okay, in your notes it has this quote. It says, the word of God is the standard by which all prophecy must be judged. God can never guide us to do something contrary to what he has already revealed in his word. So what's he saying here? He's saying that it doesn't matter if you saw a miracle. It doesn't matter if you saw an 18-inch angel dancing around. It doesn't matter if you if you see some kind of a wonder in, in, in some kind of way, he says, if the, the, the medium that you're receiving from is telling you to do something contrary to what the Bible has already clearly said, you know right away something, this, this thing is flat out, this is wrong. Because the, God never contradicts himself. That is, the new revelation is not going to contradict. If you hear a prophecy that says it's okay for you to lie, if you hear a prophecy that says it's okay for you to steal, if you hear a prophecy, it's okay. God has already clearly said these things. And so you know right away, wait a minute, even if it comes to you in success, I can prove to you that what I'm saying is true because I prayed for this person, look, they're well now. I can prove to you that what I'm saying is true. Remember that situation? I prayed in that situation and the situation turned in a successful way. Therefore, that shows, that's evidence, the fact that success is happening. It's evident, it's evidence that I'm hearing from God. And the Bible is very clear that success is no evidence at all that a person is hearing from God. Um, matter of fact, look in this, uh, in this uh, passage. Says, Success is no measure to the person who's heard from God. Look at this passage in Deuteronomy. Very, uh, very powerful passage. He says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true, Concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. So he says, Look, I'm going to show you that what I'm saying is right. I'm going, to, I'm going to do this sign or this wonder. I'm going to make this prediction. I'm going to do this whatever. And when this thing comes true, you're going to know we should turn from the, our old God. We should go after uh, you know, new gods now in this, in this situation. It says this, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet, even if if he's successful, even if the wonder comes true. 
He says, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. And you shall keep his commandments and listen to his voice and serve him and cling to him. That's what the word tells us. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. You know, that list of stories that I gave you at the beginning of this message, let me talk about each one of them and tell you how this simple truth of is it scriptural could have preserved people from making many terrible decisions, okay? First of all, the guy who wants to divorce his wife. What does the Bible tell us? God hates divorce. God hates divorce. God is not going to direct you to divorce your spouse. This is, you know, now, is divorce ever, you know, a uh, reasonable situation or this kind of stuff? There are crazy situations people can get in. I mean, abuse situations and violent situations and all kinds of things like that that might require some kind of separation. But when this guy says, I'm going to divorce my wife because I feel this other woman is going to be better in the ministry for me, Right? That is not, that's no, there is no basis in any way for anything like that. So right away, we know God hates divorce. This isn't right. How about the, the, the person who said, I was praying? It sounds so spiritual. He lost his job, and he said, we're going to pray for a miracle of supply. God's going to provide somehow for my household in a miraculous way. So we're just going to fast until God provides. And he fasts so long that one of his children dies. What do do we know about that? You know what the Bible says? This is what 1 Timothy 5.8. You must provide for your own household. It says he who doesn't provide for his own household. Now, it's one thing if... if, um, You know, so I get into a situation, and I can't control what's happening. You know, I get shipwrecked on an island. There's no food there. So, you know, know, something happened. Yeah, well, then what do I do? I seek God. I go after the Lord. I, you know, get a a hold of God in that situation. and, And I do a little, I'll tell you, I do some work at the same time. You know, it's like the two guys in the, in the, the, uh, the, the life raft, right? And one guy says, I just want to pray. I just want to pray you know, that somehow we'll get saved. The other guy says, I just want to row to see if I can get to land. I'm just going to row. But what's the truth? What really needs to happen? You need to pray and row. Right? If I get shipped up on a desert island, I'm, I'm going, okay, let's pray. What's the first thing we're going to pray for? Water, you know, and we're going to dig a hole here. We're going to do whatever God said. We're going we're to do our work. We're going to pray and we're going to work. To get it. But this guy doesn't do that. He, he doesn't say he's going to pray and he's going to work. He says, oh no, we're just, it sounds so spiritual. We are just going to completely fast. There's no, we're not going to do any work to try and feed our family and, and take care of our house. or anything. We're going to just fast and pray and seek the Lord. And God is going to provide miraculously. God told me. God told me that. Listen, God already told you in his word. He who doesn't provide for his own family is, uh, you know, is worse than an infidel. Okay, how about the youth pastor? The youth pastor who wants to start a new church. Now, you may be in a church and come to the realization that, you know what, I'm never going to fulfill my destiny at this church. That is, this is not, 
where these people are going and what's happening here. It's never going to be the place ultimately. And, and I want to pastor a church, you know, down. Well, fine. Then go build your own church. Don't take people out of that church that you're in, that those people have slaved and worked and served and cared for for decades, and you come in now, you're, you're the, the, the big splash of the moment, and you split that church? If you feel God's given you a word, go find a new community and go plant a church and build the church according to the words God, God has given you. Not build off another man's foundation in that situation. Don't do that. And uh, the Bible is clear about this in, in uh, Romans 16, 17. He, he, he says, mark those who cause division. Okay, what about the, the red seven car, right? So, the, you know, the, the, you know, you know $7,000, seven cents, it's red, must be the car. But, but if I buy this car... My finances are tied up in such a way that I can no longer honor the Lord with my tithe. I can't give him the first fruits of all my increase. I got to give the first fruit to the car company. I got to honor the car company above everything else, right? So I know right away, I look at that and I go, I don't think this is a wise decision for you to spend so much money. You can't honor God with the first fruits of your increase. You can't do that. Okay, and then the last woman, the, the last one, the young woman who wants you to marry her. Okay, what does the Bible tell us? Colossians 3.15, it says, let the peace, the peace of God should be the umpire, should be the rule in your heart. I don't receive any prophecy from anybody that I don't have a witness inside myself. If somebody says something to me, a prophetic word, or, you know, whatever, and I don't, I don't have a witness, all I, you know, this is what I do. I don't say they're wrong. I just say, we're going to take that word and put it on a shelf right over here. And anytime God wants to confirm that or move me down that path, he knows how to do it. Right? But, but I'm not going to go against the peace of God in my heart. If I don't have peace about that thing, you know, the girl says, uh, you're supposed to marry me, but I look at her and I don't feel attracted to her. I don't feel any peace about the thing. I, I sound like, I said, well, she said the Lord told me I got to do what the, you know, they told me, forget that kind of thinking. And the other way around, too, guys speaking to girls saying, you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do that. Listen, if it's contrary to the peace that you have in your heart, you need to put the brakes on right in the middle of that situation, okay? Okay, so we're talking about questions to properly examine a prophecy. Number two, does it build up, stir up, and comfort you? Um, uh, one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. That's those three phrases. Build up, stir up, and comfort. Edification is to build up. Exhortation is to stir up. And, uh, and consolation is to comfort you. So, so some people prophesy. They don't prophesy edification, exhortation, and consolation. They prophesy doom, death, and destruction. Okay? Somebody, if somebody prophesies a word to you, and it's a, a prophecy filled with negativity, it's a prophecy that steals hope from your heart that God could ever complete the work that he's begun in you. It's a prophecy that is just totally against 
you and the purposes of God in your life. Listen to me. You need to just reject that word. You need to see it. It is contrary. Why? Because a true prophecy will build me up, will stir me up. It, it, it will, you know, it's not always comfortable. It'll stir me up and it'll comfort me, right? It's not always comfortable in the sense of um, like loving parents will correct you for your good. You know, uh, it's not always comfortable, that, that interaction with your parents. But, um, but you'll always hear something good in, in correction, uh, godly correction. Um, you know, it's always helped me a long time to think about the idea of condemnation versus conviction. Uh, the devil condemns, God convicts, right? Now, superficially, they seem the same, but they're very different. When God convicts you, it, he tell, shows you the problem, and then he always will show you the way out of the problem. You, this is what you need to do now. You need to repent. You need to turn. This is what you need to do. That's what conviction does. When condemnation comes, he shows you the problem, and then, and, and this is satanic, shows you the problem, and then says to you, there's no way out of the problem. You are sunk. You are, you know, you'll never be any different. You're always the same. You won't change. You won't grow. You won't develop. You, how many times have you been around this mountain? You'll always be stuck where you are. See, condemnation has that destructive quality to it where the true prophetic word always has a redemptive quality. It's always moving you. It may correct you for sure. It may come against you and stop you, but it will move you to, um, to something you should do to change the situation and help yourself. Okay, number three. So we're looking at questions to properly examine the prophecy. Number three is this. Is the vessel or the person who is speaking to me pure? Jesus himself tells us that there will be those who prophesy in Jesus' name that do not have his blessing. Look what it says here in Matthew chapter 7. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their what? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's not the person who talks it up. It's the person who acts it, who does it. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus is teaching us that prophecy cannot be separated from the life a person leads. The inner life of a false prophet is different from the outer life. The outer life, he looks like a sheep, or she looks like a sheep. But the inner life, they're what? They're wolves, right? So if you look at them externally, what do you see? So this sounds like a terrible problem we're in. How, do, how can I ever trust in a prophetic word if when I look at the person, I see a sheep, but inwardly, they're a ravenous wolf? How can I ever trust in the prophetic? 
And the answer is right here in the passage, very simple for us. And it says this, you will know them by their, by their fruit. What do you see comes out of that person's life? Do you see faithfulness? Do you see integrity? Do you see submission to authority? Do you see these qualities, right? Do you see these things? If you see these things, you can be pretty confident that what they are on the inside is matching what they appear to be on the outside. But if instead you see other qualities, qualities of willfulness and pride and hard-heartedness and demanding their own way and rejecting authority and all these kinds of things, you know, I'm not going to put my hand... I, I, I don't believe that we have, to all, we have to be perfect before we can prophesy. I'm ready to hear a prophecy from an imperfect person. That's not a... Um, matter of fact, the only prophecy I've ever heard has been from an imperfect person. Um, that, that's not what I'm trying to say here. But what I'm trying to say is there is a character quality. There's a direction of the life. If, if, if I look at a person, they're a big prophetic person, but uh, they don't take care of their family, they, they, they can't hold down a job, they, they flit from church to church, they... they do all these different kinds of things, and then they say, now I'm going to come here to give you a prophecy, to give you direction for your life. I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. Right? You think, it seems to me like you need a prophecy for the direction of your life. Right? Okay. What attitude do I observe in the true prophet? Because many of you are going to be in shepherding roles whether you're small group leaders or pastors or whatever it is, and you have to shepherd the prophetic. And uh, th this is what I have learned as a pastor for many years, looking at the prophetic and trying to guide so that, we, so that I don't lose the prophetic. It's a very sad thing if the church loses the prophetic. It's such a wonderful, powerful thing. But it needs to be shepherded. We want the prophetic, right? But we need to examine everything carefully. And so it needs to be shepherded. So here, here, here are uh, some of what I've observed. What attitude do I observe in a true prophet? The, the blank there is humility. That's what I see in a true prophet. The willingness to be corrected or adjusted. Usually there are three areas that people need to be corrected in or grow in when they begin to move in the prophetic. One of them has to do with spirit, the spirit of the prophetic. The other one has to do with self-control. This is just my experience in working with people, right? And one has to do with flow, right? So um, these are three areas that you have to be willing to be adjusted in. The spirit of the prophetic. So, you know, uh, uh, one day I'm leading the church, and this woman stands up, and she screams, That's the Right, everybody in the room is like, you know, freaking out, right? There is no love in this place! There is no love here! Right? So it's, it's, pretty, it's a very rare thing for me to call something out right when it happens. Usually when I'm shepherding somebody, most of the time when people prophesy and they're not really in the center of things, they're... They're not really hurting anything either. It's kind of like a neutral kind of a thing. It didn't really help the service or help what was happening, but it didn't really kill anybody. And so I won't make a deal, big deal about it to try to go after them publicly on the situation. But every once in a while, 
like that kind of a situation, you know. I mean, if, if she had prophesied, if she had prophesied, uh, you need more love in this place, I could have gone with it. You know what I mean? I could have said, okay, you, that, that, how many of you know we could probably use more love in this place? Right, no problem, right? But when she prophesies, there is no love in this place! I'm saying, I think there's a little love in this place, you know. <laughs> you know, it may not be, there's a little love here, right? There's, there's something here, right? Something has to be. And so, you know, when I go and talk with her, you know, one of the things I might talk to her about is, look, um, you know, do you need amplification when you prophesy? Let's, let's talk about it. You know, let's try to help you. I want to help you because when you scream like this, it makes a bad impact on everybody that's involved. It's not edifying. It's not strengthening. It's, and then I would probably talk to her a little bit about the, you know, you know is your prophecy giving people, um, stirring them up, building them up, comforting them in some way? Is it, is it helping them in that, in, in that kind of way? So uh, now what I have found is this, that when a, when a person doesn't have the right spirit, they're completely not open to correction or adjustment. And as a matter of fact, they will perceive every effort you do that as trying to get them to turn away from God's leadership in their life. This verse is very helpful, 1 Corinthians 14, 29. And let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. What that tells me is that prophecy is a team sport. Let two or three prophets speak and let others pass judgment. It's never just one person it's a team sport. Um, they need to be, see themselves as part of a team seeking the will of God. See themselves as part of a team. It's not just, uh, here's the third thing I see. This is what I observe in the true prophet. The confession that they see through a glass dimly. When we move in the prophetic, it's not like the crystal clarity that we get from the Bible. I'm moving in a dimension that is subjective, that's moving through my broken humanity. And, and, and I can see genuine and authentic things, but I have to be, there has to be a humility in me that acknowledges that I'm seeing through a glass darkly. I'm not, I, I, I'm not uh, this isn't crystal clear because we're dealing with my humanity as we're dealing with it. D, the willingness to acknowledge that sometimes the message, message is influenced by the messenger. You know, if the messenger is exhausted... Uh, it could be that uh, the, the prophetic word gets influenced. If the messenger is angry, you know, if I'm angry about something, I just don't, I would not pr- speak prophetically, period, about that issue, right? Because, because if my spirit is uh, stirred up about that thing, then I have a tendency to speak out of my spirit rather than the divine spirit. E, a desire to strengthen the vision of the house. That is, it's, it's not, uh, it, it's different. It, well, look here. What attitude do I observe in the false or immature prophet? Okay, what do I see? I see pride. How is that manifested? A, an unwillingness to be corrected. They see every effort at correction as a personal attack or a lack of confidence in their ministry. They, they can't take it at all as, hey, you know, maybe there's just a need for a little adjustment here. B, unwillingness to adjust. They see every effort at adjustment as an effort to force ungodly compromise. They look at church leaders and they say, I must obey God rather than man. C, 
the conviction that they see more clearly than any of the leaders around them. They don't see themselves as part of a team. They see themselves that they've got it better than anybody else. They see more clearly than any of the leaders around them and they see themselves as the lone prophet correcting the leadership rather than as part of the team seeking God's will together. And then where the last one I said, a desire to strengthen the vision of a house, these immature prophets have a desire to control the vision of the house. Okay, one more question. Another question I need to ask to examine a prophetic word is, for, does it bear witness with my spirit? We've touched on this idea. Uh, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule or umpire in your hearts. We talked about this idea, let the peace be a guard in your heart. And then number five, what do my key spiritual advisors and leaders say? That is, do I, when, I, when I'm, I feel like I've heard from God, what do the key spiritual advisors, it says there's safety in a multitude of counselors. It's a multitude. God's leadership is for your protection. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. And I have some scriptures. It says God has put wise counselors in your life. And I talk a little bit about that. Let me just, if you've been here at the school for any length of time, you've heard me use this illustration before. And, uh, but I think it, it just captures something so powerful uh, it's, the, it's the kite principle. May, sometimes I do this actually when I'm talking to people who come to, to Discovery Days or something like this. So, so here's, the, here's the kite. And uh, the kite's up in the air, and the kite is way up high and looking around. And the kite is thinking, wow, I love... I'm so high up. I could go anywhere I want to go. I could do anything I want to do. I just need to, if I could just break this string. This string is holding me down. It's keeping me from accomplishing what I want to accomplish uh, with my life. I, I, if I could just break free from this, from this string, then I would really be able to go anywhere I want and do anything I want to do. But if you've ever flown a kite, when the string breaks, does the kite go higher and higher? No. What happens is when the string breaks, the kite just and falls down to the ground. And Paul Johansson helped me at a time when I was, I was battling with some things. I was struggling with some things having to do with authority and things like that. And he, he said this to me. He said, Mike, he said, often what you think is holding you down is actually the very thing that's holding you up. He said, you're thinking that this rule or this restriction is somehow, or this authority that's in your life that is over you, that this authority is holding you down. It's keeping you from being free, keeping you from being able to do all the things you want to do. And so you pull and you pull and you pull, and you try and break free. Finally, you break free, bam, except you don't go higher and higher. You come flopping down to the ground. He said, what, what, what seems to be holding you down is actually the thing that's holding you up. And I want to challenge a lot of you as we end with that thought. You know, is there something that you're trying to break free from that you're thinking it's the thing that is holding you down? Maybe it's a spiritual authority in your life. Maybe it's a rule at the school. Maybe it's whatever it might be. 
And you're thinking, if I could just break free from this, I'd be free to do whatever God wanted me to do. And the reality is that if you break free from that, you're not going to sail higher and higher. The fact is the thing that you thought was holding you down is the very thing that's holding you up in your situation. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for every one of these future leaders that are going to be in it in a position of giving prophetic words to others, of judging prophetic words, of, of uh, hel- helping their church shepherd the prophetic and their ministries shepherd the prophetic. And I, Lord, I just ask that these truths we've talked about here today will, um, will just so empower them in their, in their walk in the days ahead. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.